See, when God looks to you and I, he doesn't look at the outward appearance as we do. He looks at the heart. He sees past that outer surface and past that outer shell, past the image we try to project, past the things we want people to believe about us. He sees past all of that to our deepest and darkest, most painful places. He sees everything about who you are, who you ever have been, and who you ever will be. And yet what he sees there is not what you and I would expect. He sees something so much greater. Potential for more than you and I could ever imagine. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Well, once again, good morning. My name is Adam, and I am the pastor here at The Point. Perhaps you've heard it said, do not judge a book by its cover, which is true because a lot of books have terrible covers, but it's also true because it's implying something more than just books and covers and illustrations. No, do not judge a book by its cover is a saying to imply what you see initially may not be what you get when you get into it a little more. To imply what you see on the surface may be deceiving. There may be something better or different waiting for you. I first really deeply learned about the meaning of do not judge a book by its cover several years ago. I was living on my own and single and I had gone downtown to enjoy some lunch with some friends. And afterwards, the four of us decided now that we've had lunch, the best thing to do is to go get ice cream. Because if you're anything like me, there's always time for ice cream. And as we were walking to get ice cream, we noticed there was some blood on the concrete and it looked fresh. And our eyes paying attention to this blood were kind of drawn through this trail of blood that ultimately led to a man sitting on the sidewalk we had almost walked by altogether. And his face was covered in blood. And he was staring at his shoes and mumbling completely incoherently. And this man was mumbling to himself words I couldn't really fathom. It was clear he was a little bit intoxicated or maybe really intoxicated. And he had stumbled along the way and hit his face and that's why he was bleeding. And we decided to stop and try to help this man and make sure that he was okay. And I at the time was wearing my all-stars, my Chuck Taylor Converse. I was really excited and he was just staring at my shoes mumbling. And all I could understand was he kept talking about the star probably the star on the side of my shoes, but I couldn't understand anything else he said, and I just kept trying to get his attention. Sir, are you okay? Can I get you some help? Can you tell me what happened? Is it okay if I look to see how bad the cut is? Trying to get him to engage, and he just kept muttering and mumbling and talking about the star. And then he finally looked up and made eye contact. And it was like a switch went off, and suddenly he was the most coherent 
and clear man I've ever heard. And he began to talk to me about all kinds of scripture, just one after the next, quoting scripture. He had no idea who I was or what I believed. Quoting verse after verse about these promises of God and that for him, he was struggling with alcohol and didn't know how to stop. But he knew even in his struggle, God would be with him and would be for him and would forgive him and would one day heal him. And he went on and on and on about the goodness of God quoting more verses than I think I knew at the time. And I found myself really confused because just a moment ago, he was very clearly filled with all sorts of sin and struggle and incoherent, and just like that, he was clear as day, preaching to me better than I probably ever have to you. And in my brain, I asked this question that was what seemed most logical. I said to God, God, how can a man like this be so confident in your promises and so sure of your scripture and so stuck in his sin? And I got an answer, not an audible voice, just something that was clearly not from me, but from God. And what it was, was this. After that little prayer, it's a good question, Adam. How can you? How can you be so stuck in your sin, even though you know these promises and you know this scripture, how can you be in that place still today? And I found myself cut to the core in realizing that my whole approach to this man from the beginning was wrong. I was approaching him as if he was in need of my help and he was the mess and he was the one who was really struggling and to some extent he was because his face was still bleeding. But what I didn't realize in that moment was I was the one who needed to be reminded that what we see on the outside is not what's always going on on the inside. What we see in our first impression is not always what God is doing behind the scenes that we're not privy to. I was reminded by that man that you cannot always judge a book by his cover. As it turned out, we were able to go to the ice cream shop and get some Band-Aids and some things and clean them up. And, and as I'm cleaning him up, we also had gotten ice cream. And so like my buddy's holding my ice cream and I'm cleaning him up. And he like leaned over and took a big bite out of my ice cream. And so then he get, got to eat my ice cream and he went right back to being incoherent again, just like that. And so he wasn't altogether perfect and healed and restored and things weren't all great. But I learned what you see is not always what you get. In this Christmas series, we are leading up to Christmas with an invitation, come and see. Come and see what God has done. Come and see who God is. Come and see his goodness and his faithfulness. And today, as we continue in this journey towards Christmas, we're going to see that what you first see on the outside is not always what you get. And we're going to see this through a story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you're reading along in the blue Bibles, uh, in your pews or on the sides upstairs, it's page 300. Otherwise, feel free to use your phone or follow along in your own Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you're not familiar with the book of 1 Samuel, it's a history book in which God is recounting the history of his people and how he led them. And a little bit prior to this, there was a man named Saul, and all the, king, or all the people of God said, we want a king just like everybody else. And Samuel, this prophet, this man of God, warned them, your king will disappoint you, he will let you down, he will even take your stuff and abuse your families, your king will not be good. 
Just trust in the true king, God. And the people said, no, we, we want a king. And so he said, okay. And they picked for themselves a king. And the one whom they picked was the tallest and the strongest and the, the biggest man of the land. Why? Because your king was the one who led you into battle. And if you were going into battle with a sword or a bow and arrow, who do you want to lead but the strongest, biggest, baddest guy out there who you know can fight at least as hard or maybe harder than you do? So they picked a king and Saul, unfortunately, this king, let them down and did all the things that they were warned about and dishonored God. And God said, you will no longer be king, but I will raise up someone new. And in this chapter now of 16 where we get a new person is anointed to be the king over Israel. The word anointed means to be set apart, to, to be blessed by God as one who is chosen for a purpose. And in fact, the word Messiah that we use later for Jesus means anointed one, one set apart and chosen for a purpose. So here we get to David. This is what happens, chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Elab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or in the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So before we continue, just a little bit, if, if some of that sounds foreign to you, Samuel goes to anoint and choose a new king, and he does so privately for fear of his life. He says, I'm here to sacrifice, and I want to do so with Jesse and his family. And he goes to anoint this new king, and so Jesse does the most natural thing. Well, obviously, the firstborn oldest son should be king, all right? That's what all the, the countries of all the worlds do. It's always that way. And the firstborn comes by and Samuel says, not that one. And the second one and the third and the fourth, seven times these children come by. And God says, not that one. Now I could imagine being Jesse wondering, well, surely I thought it would be that son. So if not that one, then this one. And if not this one, then this one. I, I imagine Jesse 
hearing from Samuel time and time again, nope, not that one. And beginning to question, will it be any of them? Because like each child's getting a little bit worse than the previous one. Not necessarily like behaviorally, though sometimes that's the case, but smaller, less experienced, perhaps less knowledge and wisdom. Now what? And then Samuel says this, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Get that. Samuel tells Jesse, bring all your sons. We're going to have a sacrifice and a feast. And Jesse looks at his sons and goes, I've got all of them. And then Samuel says, but wait, we're missing one. He says, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, my youngest, he was keeping sheep. Like clearly he's not fit to be a king. So I just didn't even bother including him in the conversation. I just left him out. Because that's what we do with youngest kids, right? So Samuel says, send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Of all of the possible eight sons, it is the youngest who is chosen, the least likely. In fact, he was the shepherd, the one who was in the field who wasn't even worth really being there for the family gatherings and dinners. He was just the one who took care of the sheep and did his own thing. The youngest is the one who's chosen. Now, a little bit of fun Bible history for you. I don't know if you know much about the family of Jesse. Jesse has grandparents, well, I guess his parents, uh, David's grandparents, Jesse's parents are a couple named Boaz and Ruth. Have you ever heard of Boaz and Ruth? If not, there's an entire book dedicated to Ruth. It's only four chapters. You could probably read it today, okay? Ruth was a Moabite, a foreigner, somebody who belonged in another land who was not a part of the chosen people. And she's given birth to Jesse and in turn through Jesse to David's family. So, here comes David, the descendant of a Moabite. Now, for you and me, this may not be so important, but in the Old Testament, your lineage, where you came from, was essential because if you came from people who were not a part of the family of God, there's a really good chance you would not remain a part of the family of God because as you know, we often become like our families, whether we want to or not. And so if you come from a family who's worshiping other gods and going astray and doing the wrong things, you probably will learn those same habits as well. And so to be coming from a family that was not a part of the family of God is a really big deal. But it gets even worse. See, if you don't know who the Moabites were, they were descendants of one of the daughters of Lot. If you go back to Genesis 19, you'll read that the story of Lot is less than pleasant. And because we don't have kids point and have a whole lot of children in the room, let me just summarize and say that Lot and his daughter had some very inappropriate relationship, and there came the Moabites. So Ruth and David were descendants of a really, really bad, unhealthy situation. 
If you think your family's messed up, I promise you, you're not quite as bad as they are. And God doesn't look at the first seven. He passes over all of them. And he looks at the one who had been passed over for most of his life. And he sees not the outward appearance, but the heart. He says, this man, this is the one to be king. Later on, we see this man, David, does some spectacular things. He's courageous and he's brave and he rescues him from the Philistines time and time again. He leads them in battle. He does some wonderful things. And he does some really terrible things, too, like using his authority to convince a woman who's married to do inappropriate things with him that lead to a child out of wedlock, and it gets really messy from there. And yet, this David is called in scripture a man after God's own heart. He's given the title of being a man who's after the heart of God, even though he was skipped over and even though he was forgotten, even though he came from a really broken, messed up family, even though his history wasn't that great, and even though the future to come after this moment isn't always that great. He's a man after God's heart. You see, when God looks to you and I, he doesn't look at the outward appearance as we do. He looks at the heart. He sees past that outer surface and past that outer shell, past the image we try to project, past the things we want people to believe about us. He sees past all of that into our deepest and darkest and most painful places. He sees everything about who you are, who you ever have been, and who you ever will be. And yet what he sees there is not what you and I would expect. He sees something so much greater. Potential for more than you and I could ever imagine. See, David goes on to become the king and then God gives a promise to David, your descendants will sit on the throne forever and will reign as king for all eternity. This man, the youngest of eight, the least among his family, the one forgotten and abandoned, the one who made a lot of mistakes and did some really wrong things, the one who came from a family history that was super messed up. This man will not only be king, but his descendants will reign forever. And this Christmas season, as we look forward to our peace, as we look forward to the coming of our king, we again are drawn back to Bethlehem the very city where Jesus was born, a descendant of David, one who was often overlooked and often thought of as least of these, often looked at and said, he's not worthy to be considered all this praise and glory we're giving, but whom God had a different plan for. This Christmas season, I want you to know that when you look at your heart and you're filled with guilt and shame and condemnation, when you look at your heart and you're reminded of all of who you've been and who your family says you are and who your family used to be and all of those things you don't like about yourself, David had all of that too. And yet God looked at his heart and said he was a man after God's heart. And when God looks at you, he sees one who is not filthy and filled with sin and brokenness but he sees one who is redeemed by his son, a child of God. He sees your heart pure and clean, not by what you have done, not by what you have thought about doing, but by what he has done 
for you. And he invites you this Christmas season to let go of all those lies you've been holding about who you are. All those burdens you've been carrying that are not yours to carry. He invites you this Christmas season to lay them before the King of Kings, the one who truly reigns from a broken family and a broken background who came to restore all things. And this God and this King who sees your heart not as it is, but as he is making it. There is hope and there is peace this Christmas season. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for David. God, though he was the least in his family, often overlooked and forgotten, you saw past the outward appearance and saw his heart. A man after your heart. You did not look to his brokenness and his weakness, his family lineage and the problems therein. You did not look to his future mistakes or his present reality. You looked at what you would do with him and in him and saw that he was a man after your heart. God, we thank you that there is a king who sits on the throne who will be enthroned forever. and His name is Jesus, one who comes from this broken family to rescue and redeem all of us. We ask you would give our hearts peace. Peace from the lies that tell us we are somebody we're not. To be somebody we can't be. To do something we couldn't do or shouldn't do. God, give us peace this Christmas season. To know that you see our heart and call us your child. Redeemed and made new in Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue our worship through collecting an offering, today I want to introduce you to something that we've talked about in the past, but for those of you who are newer, it may be brand new to you. Every year, about this time of the year, we end the year with a special giving initiative called Cultivate Community. Cultivate Community is aimed at growing a culture of generosity where we together each contribute something for the purpose of fostering friendships, serving our city, and even sustaining our future as a church. In this last year, we raised almost $30,000, actually a little bit more than that, as a church above and beyond our, ex our normal giving. And we raised that money to go towards things like renovating our West Fist studios and adding more studios, adding a pottery room, adding a furnace so they can have heat and air, various things like that. And for those of you who were here last night for the Maker's Market and the Carnival, maybe you noticed we had almost 500 people, maybe more, that came into our space last night to celebrate the Christmas season, to feel festive, to feel welcomed. And as I stood at the door as people left, Time and time again, what I heard was, wow, this was really incredible. Who put this on? And then I got to tell them, well, the point, the church here in this building, and they were floored. A church meets here and does something like this? That's really awesome. See, when we cultivate community in this place, we believe it is investing in the future of the church by investing in those who are not yet here, by building friendships with one another so that we can be the kind of community that is welcoming and friendly to those who are here for the first time. And so 
over this last year as a leadership team, as we've talked about what we're doing in this realm of growing as friends and serving our city, one of the things we've discovered is we have kind of hit a little bit of a limit. I need some help. I don't know if you know this or not, but myself and Emily were the only two staff members. She's part-time and I'm full-time, and we are working so hard to try to build this community in a positive way, we've realized we need a part-time executive assistant. Somebody who can send more emails and help organize more connect groups and organize more things like the Merrymakers Market, ways for us together as a church to gather and to serve and to connect with our city. And so if you would consider this December as we go through our Cultivate Community process in the next several weeks, I'm going to share more of what this looks like for us to, to build this kind of community here that is loving and welcoming and friendly to the whole of Knoxville. But as I share more about that, I want to invite you and your household, whether that's just you or you and a partner or you and a spouse, I want to invite you to prayerfully consider what role will God be asking you to play in this place as we seek to foster friendships and serve our city? What role will he be asking you to take in the next year? Maybe it's something you've never done before and it's brand new, or maybe it's something you've done before and he's gonna invite you to do it even more, to press in a little harder. Whatever that looks like, our goal with Cultivate Community is not a dollar amount, but rather our goal is that every person who calls this place their home says, here's how I'm going to participate in some way. Maybe that's a one-time gift here at the end of the year. Maybe that's an ongoing commitment to giving in the upcoming year. Maybe that's committing to signing up to serve and to partner with the things we're doing in this upcoming year. But that's something that is really important to us, that every one of us has our part to play in what God is doing in and through this church body. So as we collect our offering today, you're welcome to make a special additional gift by writing on the offering envelope that is for Cultivate Community or online by making a note when you give online. You can give in the popcorn buckets in the back as you exit and if you filled out one of those physical connect cards with a way we can pray with you or connect with you, you can place that in the popcorn bucket as well. And if you're somebody who prefers to give online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we invite you to text some questions and I do my best to respond. Unfortunately, uh, Steve's got my little tiny phone because I don't have a cool upgraded phone. And, so. and I have old man eyes and I'm having a hard time reading that. So Steve, as best as you can read, what questions came in today? Correct. Oops. That, you're in the right spot. That, there you go. Yep. This one, this one isn't really a question. It, well, there is a question in there. It says, hey, Point family, sorry I didn't attend the Merry Market yesterday. I was, you know, working. That happens. Anyway, my birthday is coming up in a couple of weeks. Is there any way you guys could arrange a special birthday party for me after church service, please let there be beer. <laughs> now, this, 
this doesn't have a name, so we don't know who it, sent it. Because, because it's anonymous, here's the deal. Come on up to Emily or myself later, and we would love to talk with you. We love you and would love to celebrate you. And I can't promise there'll be beer for everybody, but I might have one for you. We'll see. All right. All right. What, what's the next, the next question? And I think this is a comment also. All things Christmas, like Advent and Christmas Eve, and signing up for the market are all on the teal icon in the corner of the pointknox.com labeled Christmas at the Point. I think that was from last week, but that's still a good reminder. We have the Advent services on Wednesday, and you can join us Wednesday at 6.30 in here for a time to pause and reflect and spend some time with Jesus. And then that one there. Yep, that one's new. And this is also, I believe, a comment. It says, Caleb and Drew Weaver have welcomed baby Guy to their family. We have a meal train set up for them beginning Monday, and there are plenty of spots available. Please go to the church Facebook page to sign up or let us know if you would like to be emailed a link. Excellent. And that's it. Excellent. Thanks, Steve. You guys were really easy with no questions today, just a couple of comments. So it looks like the hardest thing on my agenda this week is uh, a birthday party. (laughs) Thank you. For somebody you don't know. For someone we don't even know. But you're welcome to come up and talk to me. I'd love to celebrate you. So with that, if you heard uh, uh, Drew and Caleb Weaver, they usually sit right up here in like the front first or two row, first or second row. Um, she had her baby this last week, and he's healthy and doing well, and so we want to celebrate them by providing meals, because if you've ever had a baby or had a baby in your household, you know that that first couple of weeks is incredibly exhausting. So if we can take the burden of making food off of their plate and bless them with some food, it'd be a good way to show some love. Uh, you can sign up at thepointknox.com. You can also sign up if you go to our Facebook group or scan this QR code. Um, If you're not a part of our Facebook group, you should join so we can get to know some of the stuff a little earlier. Now that was a birth that's really exciting and we have also an announcement to be made to invite you to on the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, For those of you who have not heard, Sky Lockmiller passed away a couple weeks ago, um, died rather unexpectedly and so this upcoming Saturday at 4 p.m., we will be having a celebration of life and memorial for him. Um, as his church family, I would love for you to join us if you're able. If you didn't get a chance to know Sky, he was really, really good at trying to not be noticed and not be known. And then when he let you get to know him, he loved you wholly. Um, so it's a great uh, sad thing that he has passed away, and we will uh, mourn that together this Saturday if you'd like to join us. With that, keep in your prayers Tammy White as her father passed away this last Friday. Um, Keep her in your prayers this week as she grieves and mourns and prepares to bury him. Now, as you go, church, whether you're celebrating new life or mourning death or someplace in between, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. 
Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.